ask you if you were um 17 years old and uh there was no such thing as the internet there was no such thing as the internet you didn't have your tumblers you didn't have your twitters you didn't have i mean do i have my my tiktoks still do i have my tiktoks still you don't you don't have your tiktoks you don't have your insta stories you don't have your instagrams you don't have your um you you don't have the the six second loop one that was on twitter for a little while what's that one called again uh, vine vine you don't have your vines and I can still like, email my um, you I can still, like, email my friends whenever I want, right? You just have a pirate radio station. What are the top three songs that you play as a seventeen-year-old, and what is the number one thing that you rant about? <laughs> uh, so this would be like nineteen ninety-nine to two thousand for me, which like this is basically when Napster was invented. So I can say like, what were the first things I downloaded off Napster, <laughs> which are like lucky for me, like way cooler than a lot of the other shit I was listening to. Like the CDs I was buying at Camelot um, were sucked. Um, yeah. So it would be like Chibo Motto, Know Your Chicken, which I was like, had, these are all things I had like read about in Spin Magazine, but they didn't sell at Camelot. So I was like, really wanted to hear them. Um, Bell and Sebastian, if you're feeling sinister, uh and then if we're being honest probably like oh maybe like what's the frequency kenneth like that was like i was really in that was like my first concert actually was that that rem tour um yeah that would be good that would be good i mean i know it's not not as oh and i'm forgetting like all the hip-hop i used to listen to around then like maybe like black alicious or like you didn't listen to that much hip-hop you fucking liar i'm trying to be cool you didn't listen to that you think that i wasn't rolling around port st Lucie in a cell in my girlfriend's celica smoking blunts all day and listening to Mm -hmm. black alicious we downloaded off napster while we went to someone's parents garage to buy weed you are like way off base you know Listening to like Deltron thirty thirty and like Aesop Rock. No, we well, no, because Deltron thirty thirty like hadn't come out yet, so we were actually listening to like his first record, you know, and um, like uh, Three Feet High and Rising was like we were really into, uh, and also um, Tribe, of course, Tribe, of course, Tribe, and like Jurassic Five also, but like you know. And so, what's the num- what's the number one thing that you think you'll be talking about? Oh you're going my God. to go on a rant. Your passionate rant. What is your passionate weed rant? Weed should be legal, dude. Weed should be legal. You know, do you even know why weed is illegal in the first place? Okay. It's because a bunch of racists who had just failed at prohibition had to find a new thing to get mad about. So they picked weed. There's no reason. Did you know Richard Nixon almost legalized weed in the 70s? Didn't happen, dude. People would act like that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's what I would talk about. I think that my top three songs. I'm 17, right? So my seven, my seven, my music taste at 17 was much better than my music taste at 14 or 15. Yes, 14 or 15 was not very good. Um, seven. So 17, it's probably going to be a Radiohead song of some kind, and it's probably going to be. I think Kid A had come out, but I was probably already on the like, you know, okay, computer's the best one train. So it would probably be like no surprises <laughs> because that's the most angsty one. And it's also like suburban neighborhoods and, you know, like, yeah. Uh, And then probably Sleep the Clock Around by Bell and Sebastian. That was a song that I really loved. And then probably um, Rock and Roll by the Velvet Underground or maybe Search and Destroy Uh, by the Stooges. I was really into the Sex Pistols back then, too. I was really into, you know, Nevermind the Bollocks. Like, yeah. I remember going to my aunt's house and being like, do you mind if I put on a CD? I'm not sure if you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a, and your poor aunt, poor, poor adults have to be like, okay. And then you put on like, no, it's fine. You can leave on the sex pistols at one o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon in my kitchen. That's great. You're like, yeah. I- like I'm, I'm 30. I'm probably not as old as your aunt was. And if like some teenager put on sex pistols in my apartment at like three in the afternoon while I was trying to do stuff, I'd be like, can you, yeah, I like this. Can we just try something like else headphones? here? I mean, you listen to um, any headphones. I don't mind. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, what about Neil Young? Do you like Neil Young? Let's put on some, ni- some oh, nice I'm Neil really Young into live these, at Madison like, Hall. I'm these mid-70s Willie Nelson records. Uh, do you want to listen to those? <laughs> Uh, and I think what I would probably be ranting about at 17 is how there was like no originality anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be like this really passionate, vague take on on how there's like no originality and nobody wants to experience anything outside of like the conformed things that they're told to experience and are told to be cool and then probably like shitting on dave matthews band or something yeah i mean did you say the song radiohead song you would pick was no alarms uh, it's actually called no surprises, no surprises but they do say no alarms no surprises no alarms so this this all fits together is what i was gonna say this definitely fits together yeah. everybody's in their fucking yeah. narcotized suburban existence shooting around in their cars 100%. like they are afraid for any feelings man yeah exactly a job that slowly kills you. Oh, man, That's pretty fucking deep. <laughs> uh, we're talking about these things because we are talking about a movie from 1990 called Pump Up the Volume uh, that is about a young man played by Christian Slater who has a pirate radio station where he plays extremely cool music for the period of time that is still very cool music to this day not just cool in that period of time sort of like a john hughes movie has music that's cool in that time and then it's just nostalgic afterwards this movie music from this movie actually stands the test of time and came out uh, at the time of uh, the movie's released uh let's take a quick listen to the trailer before we talk even more about this by the way i'm ricky camler and this is my co-host chris chapin hey, and here comes the trailer before chris hey talk. it's me i'm talking anyway think about it Everything's polluted. The environment, the government, the schools, you name it. We were on uh, 92 FM tonight. It feels like a nice, clean little band. No one else is using it. Price is right. Are you listening to this? Yeah, of course I'm listening. There's nothing to do anymore. And all the great themes have been used up, turned into theme parks. So I don't really find it exactly cheerful to be living in a totally, like, exhausted decade where there's nothing to look forward to and no one to look up to. He's got a pirate radio station. Nobody knows who he is. I, I could be that anonymous nerd sitting across from you. And when you turn around, and he just looks away. He never looks back at you again. This is a song for the 90s. Welcome to Dorena Central. May I take your order, please? Yeah, I want... This is a movie that came out August 22nd, 1990, as we said. Written and directed by Alan Moyle. Uh, starring Christian Slater, the amazing Samantha Mathis. It made $11 million uh, and $11,500,000 at the box office on August 22nd. Um, it came out on a Wednesday, apparently a few days later. Dark Man opened um, after Dark My Sweet, Delta Force 2, Men at Work. Um, and um, a few of those movies made more money than Pump Up the Volume. So not necessarily the the, the movie that made the most money that week, but I do think it's the most interesting movie that uh, came out that week and the most fascinating to talk about in lieu of uh, technological advances that made all of this possible for everybody in the world, thereby ruining (laughs) communication media (laughs) for the rest of the world. Democracy, society, the planet, Um, you know. Uh, it's about a young man who moves from the East Coast. I don't think we're told exactly where from the East Coast he moves, I but like they they say the East Coast like a hundred times. I think once she says like you could talk to kids in New York, so like it is New York. Okay, so he's a New York City kid, and he moves with his parents who were uh, protesters in the '60s. That is briefly mentioned at one point in the movie. Um, but are now conformists that work for the education department in this town this suburb in arizona i think it's called mesa and it's such a suburb that it's in the middle of being built like these these uh cookie cut out houses are being dropped into the street as um christian slater's angst-ridden silent soul walks uh the neighborhoods with a uk surf mix of wave wave of mutilation and his hands tucked in his pockets can i say as someone who grew up in florida in the 90s and in like a new part of florida quote unquote like this scene did hit me pretty hard (laughs) where he's like walking down the sidewalk (laughs) and it's just like a million construction uh machines and like dirt is everywhere and it's like you're like what is this supposed to be nice like why the fuck do is does anyone live here like yeah i i was like my entire childhood yeah that, that hit me pretty hard 
side note, and I'm sure if you're smart, there's a clear answer to this, but it's incredible that the American economy has figured out nothing since it's, uh, since it, since it's beginning other than expansion. Like it can do nothing but continue to find new places to expand and build, you know, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's every, I mean, I never understood why a, a company has to make more money all the time where it's a failure. Can it just make the same amount of money forever? Like, isn't that a success also? <laughs> why does it have to make more? I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, so he's been uh, moved to this uh, town in Arizona and he's miserable. He's a quiet kid at school, but at night he is uh, he is an alter ego on a pirate radio station. And this is where the movie opens. The pirate radio station is about to go live. All the teens are gathered in what they refer to, quote unquote, is the place with the coolest reception. Uh, the <laughs> coolest reception. Uh, and they wait for happy hard on happy harry hard on i believe is his name right that's his name yeah, Chris? Happy, happy harry hard on yeah because they go to Her who, herbert who, hoover high so it's right happy and harry and his uh he plays music like uh, leonard cohen like the pixies like sonic youth uh like uh ice t like the beastie boys he plays extremely cool music for a movie in 1989. Um, I think most teen movies at this time were still like going through John Hughes new wave phases and you just like did not get music that was this alternative. And also yeah. predating in a lot of ways Nirvana and the actual mainstream turn to alternative music for that right. brief this period This would still be like college rock, I guess is what you would have still called stuff like this. I mean, you know, Sonic Youth and the Pixies. I mean, also like Henry Rollins is on this and... Uh... That, that's only, obviously Henry Rollins is different, but like, yeah, yeah, it's just like super cool. You're right. It's like way ahead of his time. It's great. It's actually great. I was so surprised at how great it was. Uh, and then in between the songs or after the songs, he rants. He rants like a very smart teenager who's read one Lenny Bruce book, which we see at one point in the movie. <laughs> he hasn't read. Uh, he rants about his high school. He rants about authority. He rants about conformity. He uh, he pretends to masturbate for extended periods of time, thereby like shocking the students. It's actually a very good impression of what a shock jock was in the eighties, <laughs> like Howard Stern, which was like mixing takes and uh, interesting ideas with like porno, just to keep make sure that the dum dums were listening. Which is kind of what. Right. happy hard on happy harry hard on does. And it's funny you um, say that because like I, I you know you're totally right that that is exactly the kind of shit howard stern would do but during the scene where they're showing him like pretending to jack off which he does like two or three times i guess um they show all the teens listening and this is a big part of the movie you see christian slater talking in the microphone but then you see all the kids listening right and so when he's pretending to jack off they're all like whoa amazing <laughs> which was like from 2020 i was like is this really how everyone would react to this but i guess i guess it was so rare and crazy maybe they would have but like i was like oh yeah everyone's like crazy to listen to this guy jack off <laughs> like for what reason i, I think what's i think what I think what's weirder about that is that he apparently does that in every episode of his show and it's something that they haven't gotten used to yet and still like <laughs> listen to ha listen to hear how long he's gonna jack off till you know like they'll be like this is like the fifth time he's jerked off tonight this is crazy and it's like, like i think they'll be over this at up. a certain point they'd be like, like okay, after yeah. a couple nights yeah after a couple nights of him jerking off they'd be kind of like uh, is he gonna? Yeah, he's gonna jerk off again. Okay, maybe we'll change the channel tonight. <laughs> well, this is actually a good point, Ricky. And to, just to be clear, at this point, like I love the movie, and I think you love the movie too. So, like, but uh, but it's unclear at the beginning. Like, how long has he been doing the show? Because the course of the movie is like it becoming really popular and it becomes the center of the universe. But like, has he been doing the show? Was this like his first episode that we're seeing, or has has he been doing this for like two years? You know, like, and nobody cared well, until he... this point. I think he'd have been doing it for at least a few shows, right? Because the kids had already been listening. And when we pick it up, they're saying like, this is where you can listen the best. And they already right. have tapes that they've made of it. So it's kind of, uh, they've definitely been, they've definitely already been listening. Like but I do think it's so cool. Uh, yeah. I do think it's so cool that the movie has them with like pirated tapes of the pirate radio show, which was such a, which was such a part of that period of time as well. And also part of what was so cool about early YouTube. And even sometimes, even sometimes internet video. Now you still feel like it's like a thing sometimes that is only for you or that 
nobody else could be seen. You know, it's not something that's being marketed to you by yeah. like multi, like multi-billion dollar corporations that are doing marketing the same thing in Japan. It's something that you're discovering on your own and sharing with. with and you know what I thought, I know what's so interesting about that too. And I totally agree is like, it's another kid that's selling the bootleg cassettes and Christian Slater never even like interacts with this kid at all. Uh, and I think that if this movie came out in 2020, it would be all about him, like finding a way to make money off of it, you know, whereas it's not at all a concern in this movie. I think that that's a really big like difference between this movie in 1990 and 2020. It's like, it's like, Oh yeah, some weird kid is selling tapes of it when making a bunch of money, like, okay, whatever, who cares? You know, like, it, well, it's the big difference between the culture against selling out and the culture that's just given, been given over to selling out. Yeah, Not to right. sound corny, but it's kind of like if that were if 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 he was presented with that in the movie, his character would have said "fuck you," I'm not going to sell out, damn the man, or something like that. Whereas in now, it'd be like, "How much are you going to give me?" <laughs> He'd be like, "Why hasn't anybody asked me to sell out yet? I will, I will sell out. I'll sell out right now. I'm cheap." Even Wayne's World was against selling out, and it was essentially <laughs> selling out in the movie with commercials inside the movie. <laughs> and it was just the whole thing was like a big sellout cash grab. But yeah, it was about like, oh, this these lame asshole record labels. Yeah, that's true. Was, the cable was, company, this damn cable <laughs> company, wants to give us a show, and they're gonna like ru- they're gonna ruin our show. It's so weird. I mean, it's just, it used to be a thing. And I think, I do honestly think back about this shit because this is the world that I grew up in and you grew up in. Like, you know, I, I this is why I'm poor, is all I can say is like, because this is the, like, I grew up thinking this stuff was bad. And I still do think it's bad. But like, people who are 10 years younger than me don't have this problem at all. Like, they, they are very, they have sold out early and often, you know. I mean, not that I haven't, I just have done it unsuccessfully, I guess. I don't know, like... <laughs> Um, so, uh, he has this show and then, um, the school starts rallying around the show. The authority figures at the school start getting wind of the show. They think that it's kind of corrupting the minds of all the students. And it's also a fairly authoritarian school that we learn is kicking, kicking students out who it thinks cause too much riffraff and will bring test scores down. Uh, should also mention that Christian Slater's father doesn't just work for the education department. He's the new uh school commissioner right isn't he Although we don't find that out we don't find that out until like almost the last scene of the movie though they just keep they don't even say what his job is and then it's like it's kind of a reveal at like the big pta meeting is like and our new superintendent and it's the dad of the guy who's causing all the trouble um that's was so weird well because i felt I like really i felt like i knew that right from the beginning of the movie and when it was no, re- I had no revealed idea. i didn't even I didn't even know it was a reveal. I thought it was just like the moment where he steps in. <laughs> well, just because the movie is such one of those movies where it's like the parents walk in for a second and they're like, what are you up to, sweetheart? And they're like, go away, dad. And they're like, all right then. You know, like, so I didn't well, yeah, really it's... give a shit what his job was. You know, I didn't care. I just didn't think he was a full, a fully drawn character, you know? It's one of those, it's one of those movies where the entire town is hunting for a angst ridden teenager with a pirate radio station and uh christian slater one has one of those in his room two is screaming and smoking cigarettes alone in his room because <laughs> on end uh every night uh and three his parents uh somehow don't know that it's him Damn. they'll come in Damn. there and be like what are you up to and he's like nothing and they're like okay bye <laughs> he was like, like oh i'm just about this have you heard about this pirate radio station guy? And he's like, no, what's that? And like, <laughs> cut, like standing in front of all the radio gear. <laughs> it's like a solid, like six foot tall by 10 feet wide bank of radio gear and microphones and tape decks. <laughs> and he's got like, you know, cool neon signs around. And they're like, oh, can you believe this radio guy is causing so many problems? <laughs> And there's like a moment at the end of the movie or not about like in in the middle of the movie where he's having like a quiet conversation in the room with somebody who's actually in the room with him. uh, And his parents bust into the room like, who are you talking to? We can hear you talking, which makes no sense because earlier in the movie, he had been literally screamingly fake simulating masturbation down there. And his parents didn't hear a thing. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh my god! And it, it, like, like, like they say, he's doing it like six times a night, screaming, playing like rock and roll as loud as he possibly can. And they have no clue. They have absolutely no clue. It's fantastic. Yeah, it must have been like a soundproofed house, or he was like, the basement is like three stories down. Yeah, well, it's like there's six feet of concrete between the house and the basement, so it's like it's pretty hard to hear what's going on down there. Uh, so the school starts, uh, gets the authorities involved, and everyone is hunting for who this DJ is. The the heat is on. Uh, in the midst of this, Christian Slater, who does not talk at school but talks at home, uh, is fallen for by um, introducing Samantha Mathis, uh, an angel if there ever was one in a movie. Good Lord. I think when I started watching this movie, she appeared on screen and I texted you, Good Lord, Samantha <laughs> Mathis. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. And I was like, oh, is she like do something really cool in the movie? And then when I when I started watching it, I was like, oh, no, I get it now. <laughs> he just meant, good <laughs> Lord, I, Samantha Mathis. Ex- explain why you get it. She's just like so hot. She's like so extremely hot and compelling and like not just hot, but like she's smart and aggressive and like, seems to be very like honest with herself and the people around her and like see, and she's so into Christian Slater and Christian Slater is so shy and it, like so shy that it, it goes into being mean. Like she's just trying to talk to him and he's like aggressively not responding that I was like, I identified with it so hard. I was like, I have been in that situation so many times. I can't believe I didn't go out with all the girls I ever met that were like this. Like, and, and I mean, just her, just her, the actress, like, right amazing amazing beautiful like so yeah it's crazy dude it's crazy you mean you mean you've been in so many situations where you've been trying to talk to a girl and she was aggressively not responding to you (laughs) no i mean no i mean like a girl would say to me like hey chris do you want to come over to my house and like study and i would be like Oh, what the fuck is this bitch have planned? She's she's got some kind of trap. Like I don't know. I can't say no, but Jesus Christ. And then I get to her house and she's like, "Yeah, come into my bedroom." And then we go into her bedroom and shut the door and sit down on her bed and I'm like, "What the fuck is going on here? I don't know what is going on. Like what am I supposed to What is she What am I, what am I, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, oh my god. She's probably well, I don't know. People are going to pop out of the closet or something. And then we just like kind of chit chatted for twenty minutes, and then I went is, home. You know, like this is so this is so stupid. I could be like smoking weed and talking about Weezer with my boys. <laughs> like, oh, she's like, oh, hey, do you want to look at old pictures of me? And I'm like, why, why? Because you're so great. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um. So the FCC then comes into town to try to take Christian Slater down and they're trying to track where he is recording from. They somehow cannot sort of doesn't really make sense that they cannot. They're sort of just trying to track him with a cheap looking ice cream van that they have. Uh, I mean, this is where you have to just give up, like throw up your hands and say it's 1990. And I don't know what the technology was capable of, you know, like maybe this was the height of it. Like, and also recognize that this is the director of Empire Records and that like there is a kind of similar fantasy wish fulfillment yeah. that both of those movies have. This movie just has a lot more on its mind. It's just a better script than than I think Empire, Empire and the Records. And the music is, is so much better. Movie. Yes, yeah. the music is so much better. I want to say something very fast before we move on to people who like Empire Records. <laughs> it is a dumb movie. It is stupid... <laughs> I know that you saw it when you were 13 and you have some sort of nostalgia for it, but if you are an adult and you go to McCarran Park and watch an outdoor screen of Empire Records, I'm sorry, why? What do, what do you get out of that? Like, you, you enjoy saying the lines that, like, Warren yelled when he was trying to steal the CDs or yelling, like, Rex Manning? It's... it's None of it's very clever or funny. It's all I mean, it's pretty corny. Surface level and corny. I mean, it is a lot more like Saved by the Bell than this movie is, right? It's like yes, I thought it was too like on on the nose and like engineered in a lab for like alternative teenagers when I was thirteen. You know, I was like. I don't know, this seems pretty stupid. <laughs> I'd rather just watch something that was good instead of about 
people who claim to like good stuff, you know, like. I felt like the only moment of that movie that I really enjoyed was when Liv Tyler tried to fuck the guy and she took (laughs) off her clothes and he leaned back in his chair and unzipped his pants and went, well, rock and roll. I laughed so hard. I thought that was like, as an, as an adult, I laughed so hard at that scene. Because I watched that scene, I watched that scene, I watched that scene and I go, right, she's like 20, 22 years old, I think. I don't think she's supposed to be 17 or 18. She's an adult. She's an adult. And she thought that this was like a smart thing to do. This fucking pop, like 50 year old. T- Tom Jones esque pop star. And it's she, so like, weird that he's supposed to, to be Tom Jones. To be like, why? Why would you, of all things, like, what a weird example of like a pop star a girl wants to fuck? Like, I mean, I, I I remember seeing that movie as a teenager, and when she was like, "I'm gonna lose my virginity to Rex Manning. Today's the day, Rex Manning day." Thinking like, is she slow? Like, is she not- <laughs> Is this is this like a Lars von Trier breaking the waves type character that's happening this right now? This character, who all we know about her is that she's obsessed with pop culture and media, has no idea that having sex with a rock star is going to be disappointing in some way. Like, like isn't that what most songs are about? <laughs> you know. I mean, she comes on to him in the break room at work. And to be perfectly honest, I think he responds appropriately. (laughs) (laughs) I forget. He's he's, he's like in the middle of his lunch in between signing autographs and she takes off her clothes and it's like, I've always loved you since I was a kid. And he's like, all right, if this is what you want to do, like fucking go for it. Rock and roll. (laughs) And like, to be perfectly honest, that seems... Like, he's actually reading the moment correctly. <laughs> like, what was he supposed to do? Be like, like I, I don't know, take her out to dinner or something? Like, what? You, she's already naked. I don't, like, what? She's already naked. Well, <laughs> was she supposed to, like, stand up and, like, dim the lights and be like, ooh, let's slow it down a little yeah. on my 15-minute hey, break baby. between autograph signing? Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Empire Records. Um, wait, wait, Christian Slater and... It's, uh, the same, it's the same director. Does it... Did, 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 did we say that? Did we say that? Yes, I, yeah, I, I said that a couple of times. Alan Moyle. He yeah. directed He directed both these movies. Well, you said Alan Moyle, um, but if you don't know who Alan Moyle is, I don't know. Chris, I said it. <laughs> Look, Ricky, like, I don't want to stop the show over this, but I'm just saying I'm pretty sure you didn't say it. And also, you saying Alan Moyle, like as if that's someone everybody is familiar with, I just think it's like, you're just like, what are you, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, you're just way off base. You're way off base. Okay, I said. And you douchebag. Uh, so, the climax of the movie is that these teachers, the the principal of the school, starts getting out of control, uh, as she was before. She's an evil principal, um, by way of a number of '80s movies like Rock That's and Roll right. High School. Rock and Roll High School, yes, exactly. Or or Rock and Roll High School Forever with Corey Feldman, which uh, nobody ever wants to talk about with me because <laughs> nobody's seen it but me. Yeah, but I, I haven't. I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that. I think the full movies on YouTube, I could not recommend more spending some time with that movie. It is uh, jaw-droppingly bad and features what is possibly, from what I've seen, the highest on-screen Corey Feldman we're ever going to get. Like, are we talking like high on marijuana, high on cocaine, like high on what are we talking Whatever we're talking, sweating nonstop, sweating Michael Jackson impressions, and clearly having enough power to say no, I will not lip sync somebody else's voice when his voice is <laughs> so bad. Um, but I digress. Uh, the FCC is trying to track him down in order to not be tracked down and do one final broadcast because at this point Samantha Mathis has convinced uh, Christian Slater that. You know, he owes it to the kids. He's become their voice. He has to do this. So they drive around in her Jeep and broadcast from there uh, with some sort of signal scrambler so that the FCC can't catch up. And he refers to the FCC uh, head as a political hack, which is this moment I love. And the FCC head is played by the same actor who plays uh, Michael J. Fox's father in Teen Wolf. Um, Yes, yes. 
Uh, also, and, I love uh, the idea that he's calling him a political hack. Like the, he hasn't the, what dedicated his life to broadcasting. Like what is the, what is the implication there? You know. <laughs> and also, a seventeen-year-old like knows explicitly how to contextually use the phrase "political hack." That and also, wait, like, let's not forget, it's 1990. It's before the internet. Like CNN, like barely exists at this point. So Christian Slater knows enough about who was impo- appointed the head of the FCC and his background relative to other candidates that he feels comfortable being like this fucking political hack. You know, like that's pretty <laughs> impressive. It really is. Uh, he eventually gets busted and him and Samantha Mathis get arrested. And as he's getting arrested, he yells to the students who have been listening to him, use your voice, rise up. You have a voice too. You deserve to be heard. And then as the movie fades to black, we hear the sounds of uh, voices or teen voices broadcasting themselves all across the world. And uh, it's for 1990, probably a fairly beautiful moment. And it's honestly quite emotional. I, I I teared up when I started hearing this, but then I realized that I was tearing up because we've reached the point where this could happen. It is happening, and it's it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like literally destroying the entire world, and it's really really bad. And it is funny because like yeah, he's saying like take back the airways; they belong to you. You know, broadcast. And then you start hearing people, you know, and they're doing their own little shows and they're literally saying, like, I literally think one of them says, um, hey, welcome to my channel. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. It is. It's just this it's is like the world just a few. It's like just a few years. It's like about to be followed by welcome to my channel. This is Pepe. <laughs> Oh my God. Here's why Black Lives Matter is actually a racist conspiracy. Like. We're gonna we're gonna get our guns and go defend defend the local oh gas station. You want to come? Yeah, you know that gas station. No, what are you talking about? No, you just, come on. We're gonna go defend it. <laughs> what? We're gonna defend what? The gas station? Look, oh. man. We're just gonna get our guns and we're gonna go stand in front and scare people like those people that got to speak at the RNC. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, that's great. No, but the movie. Oh, yeah, the love ends, them. The movie, the way it ends with these people a million channels, it's like. I mean, it completely accurately is imagining like the social media future, but it is, it is so touching, like you're saying, and so poignant that they like imagine that as being the most positive thing that could possibly happen in the world. And oops, it turns out it's like, is destroying democracy everywhere. It's bad. It's bad. It It turns out gatekeepers are good. It turns out gatekeepers are good. No, 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 no. I think what, I think what it forgets and doesn't, doesn't take into consideration is that the adults and that the institutions and that the economic system of this country would consume those voices and learn how to sell them back to each other in harmful in dangerous ways. Like, I don't think we can actually, I don't want to come across as if we were sort of blaming individual voices for having a chance to speak freely on the airwaves. What has happened is that those individual voices got that and the system itself found ways to consume and push back out something far more dangerous and, and, and hurtful as it always does. It always consumes and pumps something back out that is marketed, branded, and more affiliated with some sort of broad, broader, bigger idea for the culture than what is an individual, unique, personal voice. And I think that that's what the movie kind of forgets is that this, this beautiful idea is going to become something disgusting because everything in this country becomes something disgusting. <laughs> I mean, I hear you on this, but I also, I, I do want to come out against people's voices. I think it's bad for everyone to have a voice. I think that's like, if you give everyone a voice, it turns out a lot of people are really stupid. So it's actually bad. And, and then a lot of them uh, like each other. A lot of the stupid people find each other. And then those stupid people become kind of stars and it's terrible. The whole system is bad. And it doesn't reward, uh, there's no one saying like, hmm, I don't know, is this really good? It's just like, you know, whatever everybody says about it, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think people are bad. And that's I, I think fair. That's, a, yeah. that's a fair point. So Chris, um, you've, you've kind of said it here and there, but let's just let, dig into it now that the plot has been has given out. And we skipped over a few things that I think we'll probably touch on as we talk about what we liked in the movie. But um, did you like this movie? It sounds like you did. 
Yeah, loved it. Loved the movie. Yeah, you know, I so I had never seen this movie before, like a lot of these, and I had just I just knew it as like the poster in the like blockbuster that I went in my entire life. And I, I didn't know what the movie was about, but just something about it being Christian Slater, who was like the super cool guy. And it says like, pump up the volume. And he's like, got like cool headphones around his neck. I was like, I just made up this whole movie in my mind where he was like a New York City dance music DJ. <laughs> like, like it was basically like glitter. Like, and he's like signing singers and falling in love with hot women. Like I was completely shocked that this is what pump up the volume is about. Like a nerdy teenager who has a pirate radio station and then like can't talk to girls. Like I, this is, could not be further from what I expected. And I was really excited. Well, that's because of the poster, right? Like if you look at the poster, it's handsome Christian Slater in a very, um, in, in a very pretty boy centerfold kind of pose on top of a radio deck. It looks ridiculous. It looks like cocktail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he looks like the world's fucking coolest dude. And uh, my response to that is usually to be like, fuck you, who cares? Like, no, you're not cool. Like, I don't even want to be cool like that. Yeah, this movie was a movie that, I, you know, you had said about Empire Records a minute ago that uh, at, when you saw Empire Records at like 16 or whatever, you already were kind of like, I don't like how this movie is marketed. It's for me. Yeah, this right. movie feels like it came out of a marketing can't like company specifically for me. And when I saw Pump Up the Volume, it was told by, to me by an older person, older some older people that I, whose taste I really trusted. They're like, "You're gonna love this movie." And I think I was like 17 when I saw it, and I didn't like it. I didn't get it. It looked too. I think it just looked too normal for me. Like at the time, I was I was just sort of define too normal. Can you define too normal? I think I needed things to be very aesthetically impressive when I was like 17. Yeah, like yeah, I yeah. really loved Lars von Trier and Paul Thomas Anderson. I was like, yeah, it doesn't look, what are they doing with the camera? It doesn't, they are not doing anything no. visually interesting in this movie really. Yeah. It kind of looks, and maybe that's because I, we watched it in YouTube chunks. You can't rent this movie anywhere. You can only at the moment watch it in four minute chunks on YouTube, which kind of plays seamlessly. Uh, it looks a little like an after school special with cooler ideas inside of it and cooler music. <laughs> yeah. It's just very flat. You know, it's just like, here's the, here's the studio. Here's the kids in the baseball field. Here's the freaking outside the school. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Here's where the, here's where the people are talking. You know, it just kind of yeah. was like that. And it also felt to me, it, it's not, it wasn't that it felt dated. Cause I didn't mind dated material when I was 17. It just felt, too cool like it was trying too hard to be cool and i didn't really like christian slater's perform i still don't really like christian slater's performance that much i have to tell you i think it's a great oh, really? character inside a good movie i think his performance is is fucking annoying <laughs> like i mean i i can't uh, see here's the thing about me and christian slater is like uh, heathers was basically my favorite movie when i was a kid when i was when i was a teenager like i used to watch that movie constantly it was always on comedy central so i watch it all the time and um so i just do think that he's cool you know i just i have that brain disease like i think christian slater's cool so like watching him do the stuff in this movie i was like cool <laughs> you know it works on me it works on me you know and i see a jack nicholson impression yeah, That's yeah. Kind of but he's like a kid, you know? Like, what? Everybody's doing an impression of somebody, you know? Are you saying you, you yeah. feel like nobody's original, Ricky? Is that what you're saying? You feel like, there's no originality! I look around this town, I look into the faces of these people, and they're all the same, man. They're all the fucking same. We all fuck the same. We all read the same books. We all watch the same fucking shows. No originality, baby. <laughs> wow, dude, that was devastating that's just crazy crazy to hear that was my that would be my rant from when i was 17 and i'm pretty sure i was quoting uh something and i can't remember what it was we all talk the same we all look the same we all fuck this oh it's from it's bogosian it's from um suburbia bogosian suburbia okay yeah i mean just steal it and forget where you heard it and that's what making art is you know that's that's what you call making art <laughs> I think maybe I'm stealing this from somewhere, but I bet I'm changing it a little bit. <laughs> like This movie made me want to go back and watch um, a movie, and I also couldn't find this to rent, a movie called SFW 
that came out. Oh in the yeah, mid-90s. I used to love that movie. It's starring Ethan Hawke, right? Isn't that isn't he the star of that movie? No, no Stephen Dorff and Reese Witherspoon. Oh, Richard Dorff. SFW. Yeah, I used to like that. I used to rent that at Blockbuster sometimes. I really liked it. SFW. I love that movie, but that movie is about that movie's about tabloid media and it has and he's like the one voice of a generation that motive and like a, a, that motivates uh his generation but he's like a total nihilist and uh you know he finds meaning in loving Reese Witherspoon's character who he was held hostage with but it made me want to watch that movie because I thought that I knew someone similar. was held hostage I knew that was part of that movie right yeah they're held hostage and filmed they're held hostage for like you know 30 days or something and while they're held hostage the the hostage takers uh may basically make a reality show with them inside the convenience store right. they're held hostage and pirate oh pirate broadcast it as a show while they're holding them hostage and while he's being held hostage he says nothing matters none of it matters so fucking what that's how i live my life and that becomes a t-shirt slogan and that's when he's not held hostage anymore it becomes very alienating for him can i just read this cast list real quick i'm looking at it these are like these were the most famous person people in the world to me when in like 1994 so we got Stephen Dorff, Reese Witherspoon, Jake Busey, Joey Lauren Adams, and Jack Noseworthy, baby. Oh my God, Joey Lauren Adams. Oh. 1994's Joey Lauren Adams. There wasn't really anything better than that. No, that's pretty great. Especially because she was like actually really cool. Like, you know, so. Yeah. She was in cool movies. Um. Yeah, Days and Confused, SFW, uh, Chasing Amy, Mallrats. Chasing Amy, I know. It's so che- everybody, it's so cheesy and stupid now, but it's hard to, if you were actually a teenager when these movies came out, like they were genuinely like unlike anything else and very alternative and like so cool. I know they don't hold up at all. It seems so hokey and stupid and like possibly hateful, but like, you know, they were good. They were good for the time. I think they were good for the time. I remember loving Chasing Amy when I was uh, in like middle school or high or like ninth grade or something. And I was working at the community access TV station. And uh, the the woman who was working there, who's probably in her twenties at the time asked me what my favorite movies were. And I said, Chasing Amy. And she's like, usually like a fairly open, sweet person to everybody that worked there and would never show judgment. And I said, Chasing Amy. She's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, what's wrong with Chasing Amy? It's amazing. It's so well written. It's so well written. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. Um, she had to like very politely be like, yes, it is a good, it's, it's a fine script, but he's just not much of a director. Like watch the way he uses the camera versus David Lynch uses the camera. And you can see that like one is directing the movie and one is not. <laughs> <laughs> ouch but very insightful yeah yeah that's true i will i will say that one of the things that i um that i really like about this movie and that like a number of other things like the music selection that in another way that it's ahead of its time is its main character and ostensibly the movie because the main the main character is the point of view of the movie uh approach to um lgbtq issues and um and suicide there is specifically a, a scene where um a kid calls into Christian Slater, Happy Harry Hardon's radio show to tell him about a time that he was hooking up with a guy in the woods and was caught and was then beat up by and and taunted by these these guys who caught him. And instead of being counseled to not be gay or made fun of, or even the character himself having any sort of um, affected effeminate manners of any kind, it's actually just a quite beautiful, subtle scene where he tells the story and Christian Slater's response is simply, um, I'm taken by how, sh- how strong people in the world are. That in, every, yeah. in, in all the ways that we get great. beaten and cut down, you know, we, keep, we keep on living. And then he proceeds to tell him that there's nothing wrong with him. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's like a very, it's, I was shocked at, again at how like well handled it was and how well it holds up like to today it was like really good um and like you mentioned this briefly but like yeah one of my favorite things about that whole sequence was the kid they didn't go out of their way to make that kid like 
look like the gay kid like he just looks like any other of the kids in the movie he's like kind of looks like a skateboard kid or something with like long blonde hair you know and like a baseball cap or some shit and it's like he just looks normal like anyone else and i thought that was even just that choice was so revolutionary for the time i mean because movies back then might have had like something positive to say about gay people but i think it was like you would have a extremely gay seeming person and it would be like kind of a joke at first and then you'd be like, but actually it's okay. Actually it's okay. Or you would have the, you'd have the Heather's version where it's the jocks, like surprise, surprise. Oh, God, right. Isn't it ironic that the jocks, that the jocks are gay? Yeah. And that's like a mean joke, right? It's supposed to be yes. humiliating to them to make them seem like they were gay, which is like, well, that's actually not very cool. That's actually not very cool at all. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I like that the kid is neither effeminate nor macho, and they're not playing any kind of obvious contradictions or or, or jokes yeah, right. about him. And, and it's good. You know, this I'm... movie, again, is, is 1990. It's 1990, oh, and they have so this. Hard. And, like, you are still, like, The Hangover is going to come out 28 years later, 27 years later, and its main joke is still going to be using the F word against its characters, oh, right? Like, like the world is wildly homophobic in 2008. I can't imagine yeah. how homophobic in it was in, in the middle of the AIDS, in the middle oh of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, it was just like not seen as a part of the real world. You know what I mean? It was like some weird people are gay. Like that was, I think, even an enlightened attitude. It was, you know, it's kind of like when you go to somewhere that isn't very diverse. Like I always think of Denver, Colorado, and it's like the the difference between whether that place is liberal or conservative is like, there are no minorities there, but they just, whether they imagine them positively or negatively. And like, that's kind of gay people in 1990. Like it was like, nobody knew a gay person, right? Of course, who would possibly know one, but it was like, whether you imagine them being like, okay, or like monsters, you know, like. This is his um, successful call with a, uh, with, with, yeah, right. with someone so this, having problems there. They said there is an unsuccessful call as well. Right. And this is, this one comes after the unsuccessful call. So we're supposed to think he's like trying to be more sensitive, right? Where he's kind of like, someone has written in and said they want to kill themselves. And so he calls them. The way it works is he gets these letters at his P.O. box. And then he calls them if you, if you leave your phone number. And uh, so it's like Chris Gethard's show, you know, or something. And so then um, he's talking to him and he's like, oh, what? You're going to kill yourself? Oh, how are you going to do it? You're going to leave a big mess for your mommy? Well, you're going to like, oh, and he's like razzing him a little bit. But you can tell that he's like, doesn't real, he's trying to like maybe snap him out of it by being a dick to him. But then the kid does kill himself like immediately afterwards. And then like, that is sort of one of the early things yeah, that actually not, gets all not... the adults upset. is like, that everybody's like, kid kills himself after DJ goads him into it. It's not an overly insensitive razzing, I will say. There is right. like a level of him trying to connect to this kid, not simply making fun of him. And it's, it's also because he doesn't necessarily think he's serious. Like he thinks that this is kind of like a bit, you know, because we have seen him before get letter a letter from a girl saying she was like sexually abused by her brother, basically. But then she just kind of giggles and hangs up the phone. And the implication is that she made it up, you know. So it's not crazy for him to think this, uh, but it turns out that he, 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 this is part of him like coming to grips with his power as a broadcaster. And I mean, this is another thing to talk about about this movie is like the way that it um, looks at the power of the media. <laughs> like, you know, not only is the movie about like one pirate radio station completely turning the town upside down and changing everyone's life through the power of broadcast, but it's like one of the other like main peripheral characters, like the Greek chorus kind of is the like local news anchor. Who's like, it's such a huge deal that the local news is covering this, you know? And it is, it's like from the prospect of 2020, it's like, it is pretty quaint, you know, it's pretty quaint. It's like, if only the media had this power to completely change the lives of everyone instantaneously, just through like quality content, you know, like, well, that's what I, I don't know if it's through the lens of 2020 that I feel this way. And maybe this is jumping too far to a different idea. But there is this sense that like by the time 
you're in high school, your identity isn't already fully formed within this movie. And so therefore his show and the music that he plays can turn all these, like all of the kids on. Like, it's not just like a certain type of kid gets turned on to what he's doing in the music. It's all of the kids, which in my experience in high school was just like, not the case. And it's not that kids were like hostile or anything, but it's like, if a, if a group of the group of kids who like Dave Matthews band, if I played them Sonic Youth, they were not going to be pleased. They were not going to be like, whoa, what, what, what's this dissonant mess? Like, they're not going to, they're going to be like, yeah, shut like, that shit off. Shit. I don't want to hear it. And because that is the thing, by the end of the movie, like, the entire school is in this, like, baseball field listening to the show. And, like, they're all, like, losing their minds at every Bad Brains song. And they're like, wow, I love Bad Brains. You know? Right. Would they? I don't know. (laughs) Sonic Youth has two songs in the movie that teenagers are playing in the courtyard of the school. Like the popular kids are just playing in the courtyards of the school. We're talking about 1989 Sonic Youth. They haven't even had Goo come out, right? This is like yeah, right. schizophrenia Sonic Youth. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, Ricky, they're in the best high school in Arizona. And they're just really, they all have open minds. You know, they're just like really out there to absorb the world. But um, back to the uh, the mental health issues of the of the students. There was another student who was essentially the most popular girl in the school. Did you not like my sequitur? Did, is that why you're laughing? Is your segue? Is that what you're saying? Your segue? Yeah. Uh, was um, your segue a non sequitur? Hmm. That's what it was, dog. Um, that's me spitting ice out. Uh, <laughs> she's the most popular girl in school, and she, from the top of the movie, seems to be struggling with her family and with uh yeah, right. she's in very like like i'm so excited i'm so scared territory like from the first second of the movie <laughs> is that was that a jesse spano reference yeah it's a jesse spano reference yeah, of course yeah okay. <laughs> of course. Um, i think that's a very common and, reference <laughs> and as the movie progresses she gets more and more upset with the adults in her life. She storms into a PTA meeting. And, uh, in, you know, another part of the movie is that a, lo- a number of the performances are, are just not that great, including this actress's. And I don't think it's her fault, but she storms in and she has a scene where she says in front of everybody, you know, everything isn't all good. We're not, we're, we're unhappy. We have feelings. We feel you all want us to be happy all the time. And that's just not how it is. And then she storms out and so, and Samantha Mathis gives her the thumbs up for it. <laughs> they like enthusiastically give each other the thumbs up. Right. <laughs> like yeah. after she's had this extremely tearful revealing, like yell cry in front of the entire town it's like it's like a production slate on a tim and eric thing they're like big thumbs up yes exactly (laughs) um wait so i had a question for you i had a question for you about this scene richard um like okay so she comes into this scene and this is this is happening like okay so it's the big pta meeting because the town is fed up this uh pirate radio station is like corrupting all the kids and so they're right before this happens there's a montage of all the kids like you know, being corrupted, like throwing off all their anxieties and worries. And so she like takes all of her, um, like her Yale pennant and her like academic B trophies and stuff and puts them in the microwave and the microwave explodes. Okay. And then she comes, the next time we see her is in this, this PTA meeting and she's got two black eyes and like a little bandaid on top of her nose. And my immediate assumption was like, oh, her dad beat her up for blowing up the microwave, <laughs> you know? And, but Catherine, my wife, I always said that to her and she was like, oh no, I thought it was just like, she got hurt when the microwave exploded. <laughs> and so I, which of those do you think, which of those do you think it was? I think, cause she sits right in front of the microwave and watches it explode. I think it's supposed to be that that was because the microwave exploded. But maybe there's a deleted scene because at the top of the movie, when we first meet her, her relation her response to her dad is fraught with a kind of tension that isn't just that feels a little bit deeper than like teen alienation because he basically textually just comes in and goes like hey we're going to the lake house this weekend it's going to be great and she's like oh dad but like the energy between them is very weird she's not like yeah she's not like oh dad he's like he's like 
hey honey we going to the lake house this weekend and he's very like two could two two like picket white picket fence normie and like in a in a big over the top way where there's like something seeping underneath the surface david lynch style and uh, <laughs> and her response is like, huh, okay, dad. Like she's gripping the sheets on her bed, like ripping the, yeah, like, everything yeah. out. You know, like something is making her really tense and and nervous. And it's like, uh, what? You're the, totally right. You're totally right. Like, yeah. And this, this is why I this is why I assume this is why I assume that he beat her up because the whole thing is like she feels like she has to be perfect. She's very tense around her parents. And then when she finally like acts out, it's like, you know, there was some kind of threat of violence over her the entire time, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately there must, I wonder if there's ever a deleted scene or a scene that didn't get shot or something because her, while her storyline is a huge (laughs) part of the movie, it does not get wrapped up. No, it ends right there. That's the end of her storyline. Right. Right. Her, her wrap up is getting the thumbs up from Samantha. (laughs) Good speech. Okay. that's hey good effort that's a wrap on popular girl uh so chris i gotta ask you uh what's your favorite part of this movie oh ricky i mean honestly it was a pretty good movie i mean my favorite part honestly probably was the music like a movie like this where it's coming at you out of the gate being like we have good taste in music it's almost always disappointing um but I really, like, say, Baby Driver, for instance. Like, I the music in that is not very good. Um, I also, was that like, movie is not very good. It's not very good, yeah. I was like, uh, oh, this music is all great. Like, every time there was a new song, I was like, holy shit! And I was like, oh my god, is that? Oh, wow, what? They play the same, they play, like, Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, like, over and over. Like, I guess it's his theme song, kind of. But it, it got, we heard that song so many times. I was like, this is actually really cool. I love that they keep playing it again. Uh, what 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 was you your favorite part of the movie? After, uh, well, my favorite part of the movie um, is probably um, the music. The music is amazing. Uh, the wave of mutilation, UK surf mix. Hearing hearing that in a movie in 1990 must have been incredible. I love that you keep saying that. I love that you know that that's what it is. <laughs> I think that's really well, because crazy. there's two different there's two different versions. There's a version that's on Doolittle, which is the faster version, and then there's the slower version, which is the UK surf mix. And that movie may have been the reason that the UK surf mix became po- popular. I mean, it's it's more popular than the actual initially released version of of the song. Oh, really? I, I just listen. Yeah. I just listen to records, brother. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know about what's popular. I just like to listen to records. And this is also pre "Where Is My Mind" being used in anything as well. Uh, hey, so Ricky, what do you think the most '90s part of this movie was? Uh, I'd have to say once again, uh, and I hate to be a broken record here, no pun intended, but the music, <laughs> because the the music, the movie comes out in 1990, and a lot of this music is about to become mainstream a few years later whether these specific bands or not are about to become mainstream the in like the sonic youth is about to sign with david geffen and basically yeah. create the label that spawns nirvana in the mainstream way as well as beck and um i think that may alternative music is about to break 1991 the year punk broke as sonic youth said uh this movie comes out in 1990 and it predates a lot of that music being being yeah. mainstream it is wild. I totally agree with you because it is it is a very like forward looking. It's not while there is Henry Rollins on it and stuff. It's not all like eighties hardcore or like REM is not in this movie anywhere. You know, it's like stuff that is going to become popular in the nineties. It's a, like it's a really really well put together. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's like a clunker here and there, but in, on the whole, it's like fantastic. Um, so I agree with that. The other thing, and this is also kind of like the next answer to the next one, which is what have we grown out of? Um, but like this, the, well, one of the most nice things about this movie is um, it's just, it, the premise needs you to accept the idea that a bunch of rich white high school kids are the most oppressed people in the world and not the most privileged people in the world. <laughs> you know, like you have to be like, 
these oh these rich white kids who go to this elite school oh i bet they have lots of problems <laughs> i want to hear all about them you know and not like oh, these motherfuckers are fine you know everything they're fine well, it's why it's why so often you uh, and I don't even know if it's just it being in 1990 or us just being older and growing out of it, right? Because I bet if we went and watched a bunch of teen movies on Netflix, they'd feel somewhat yeah. similar, but probably more diverse, um, but still like at an elite school. Uh, because no one, I mean, in order to tell yeah, but stories, maybe, it's, but in maybe like, it's like a but maybe it's like a school for werewolves. Yes, but nobody that wants to it. tell stories about low-income schools because you'd have to address class. So therefore, you would just make it a poor werewolf school, <laughs> like the like, like like the 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 werewolves are poor and the vampires are rich, and then everyone yes. can be like, all the fucking yes. idiots who write about movies online can be like, oh my god, it's a meta, it's a it's it's like a metaphor for class, and it's like. <laughs> it it's obvious that it is. It's, there's nothing else there. Ricky, did you um, know that the Gemini Man was inspired by the Zodiac Killer? Have you heard this? It's pretty crazy. <laughs> um, but I, I, I pretty much, I, I pretty much agree with you there. Uh, it's also an extremely white movie, and I don't think, as much as I'm not one for, um, you know, doing doing the numbers in terms of like, you know, the, <laughs> the, the diversity in a movie, it's an extremely white movie. And like a lot of the movies yeah. we've watched from this year, it has no self-awareness about it whatsoever. Although rap music does play a, a bigger part That's in it true. than most movies of, of, of the 80s. 50% of the rap songs in it are by black people. So like, you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> because there's two. And one is Ice-T and one is the Beastie Boys. <laughs> so, you know. I mean, and I, I wonder if the other thing that it will have grown out of, which is just in the past few years, which is this meek, quiet boy who gives absolutely nothing for the to the beautiful girl yeah. to go off of, but she still pursues him. Well, I mean, that's a little unfair because it's like what he, it's like his radio persona. It's yes. like you know, Lois Lane is in love with Superman. She's not in love with Clark Kent. You know, it's like she she loves this version of him that's on the radio, but he can't reconcile those versions of himself, you know? And so she yes, keeps trying to get him to like, right. you know, be more like the radio guy, you know? She's like, do radio stuff to me. And he's like, mm, I have to go, <laughs> you know? It's... Do, do you, do you think we've grown out of the simplistic villain of the like principal who's like expelling students because I initially thought that, and then upon saying it out loud, I'm like, no, that's actually a pretty good storyline. Like, she's expelling yeah. students to boost it's actually pretty the, good, the yeah. testing numbers. And that is, like, actually a real thing that kind of happens. And it's actually a little kind of nuanced. And again, they actually don't reveal the details of it until the very, very end. It's just kind of, like, hinting around that she's, you know, unfairly expelling people. And then they actually pretty smartly and quickly pull together that it's like, she has to keep up the average of the test scores. That's all she cares yeah. about. So anybody who she thinks is dumb, she expels for a made up reason. And it's like actually illegal. And uh, she gets in trouble for it from Christian Slater's dad, which is so cool. Cause he's been such a lame asshole the whole time. And she's like, you can't fire me. And he's like, actually I can, <laughs> which is so stupid and cheesy. But also I did was legitimately like, yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy. I love that moment where she says, actually, I can. And then he goes, no, you can't. And that's it. <laughs> Her response is, actually, I can't. Or no, you're right. She says, you yeah. can't do that. And he goes, actually, I just did. And then that's it. And then it's like, wait, what? This is. She had no leg to stand on when he, she said he couldn't do that. She was, She's like, she was, damn it. He didn't fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> she was expecting me like, wait, I can't? Oh, does anyone know? Can I? I thought I could do this. I am the superintendent. I mean, what what do I? Okay, okay. I don't know. She's like, you'd be surprised how often this works. Really, you just it's just about confidence. You just say it with confidence, and people assume you're right. You know. Um, another thing that doesn't work that well in the movie, and it does, it's not because it's it's grown out of it, is the subplot with the English teacher who the cool oh, English yeah, teacher sorry. who likes uh, happy Harry hard on stuff, and then gets fired at the end of the movie for a reason that's like not super clear. She like barely she's like stands up for anybody. She just a little bit, like you know. Yeah, and she's fired, and then she shows up out of nowhere to say bye to Christian Slater and be like, "I got fired." 
and he's like, okay, see you later. Because they haven't actually really established <laughs> that that great of a relationship between the two of them. Yeah, and it does kind of seem like she's like hitting on him a little bit. Like, not really, but like a little bit, you know? She's like, hey, I just wanted to say goodbye. And then they're, they fired me, so. And he's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> and he walks away. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, it's just part of his like criminal, you know, he's crim- his criminal shyness. You know, he's just so like can't he just can't connect with people genuinely in the real world. He needs this like artifice of the microphone, you know, which I don't identify with personally, not at all. Chris, before we go, we both like this movie a lot. It's probably one of the better movies we've watched so far. I think you think it's the be- your favorite movie that we've watched so far. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there. It's up there. Um, but I like it a lot as well. It's definitely not my favorite, but I I do think it's one of the more enjoyable and, um, it deserves to be streaming somewhere, um, other than YouTube in four minute chunks. But before we go, before we wrap up the show, I would like to hear your best impression of happy, hairy, hard on Christian Slater on the radio. What's going on with the kids today? All the parents want to know. We're right here in front of you, man. That was fucking good. I gotta say, that was really good. I'm proud of you for indulging me and actually doing it well. <laughs> you have to that do it now, really too. Good. You have to do it. That is uh, 30 years later. Uh, oh, you son of a bitch. Very much. Thanks so much for listening. Ah, you bastard. <laughs> Thank you.